Hello everyone, this is Brandon Ellis with Industrial Automation. It doesn't have to. And I am here with Miss Beth Elliott. Hello, Beth. Hey, Brandon. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. What is today's topic? Today's topic is cybersecurity. So join us. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Industrial Automation. It doesn't have to. In case you're new, I'm Brandon Ellis, and I'm your host and also the owner of Elitech. As we jump into today's episode, I just want to ask you to hit that follow button and subscribe button, depending on the platform that you're listening on. And if you're listening on Apple Podcast and you enjoy what you hear today, please go to the show page, scroll to the bottom, and leave the podcast a five-star rating and review. Now that we've got the marketing out of the way, I want to say thanks for tuning in. So let's get started with today's episode. All right, we're back. Hey, guys, this is Brandon again with Elitech the owner of Elitech and also the host of Industrial Automation. It doesn't have to. And I am here again with Beth Elliott, our marketing manager. Hey, everybody. Hope you're having a great day. Yeah. So, Beth, all kinds of things have been going on. Oh, my word, yes. You have, in, in, in past podcasts, asked me about what's going on in the world. Let me ask you what's going on in the world. Well, I'm excited that we have a new employee at Elitech. Exactly. Yes. So, Sean Linus, we're Tickled to have Sean uh, on our team. He's one of our outside sales engineers, and so uh, both he and Allison will be out there talking to folks and doing all kinds of things. So if you all need anything, give give them a, one of them a call, and they would love to talk with you about uh, anything from robots to motion to machine uh, condition monitoring to data to IoT. Uh, so uh, certainly give us a call for those kind of things. Elitech eight six five. Four zero nine one five five five. That's right, and I'm I'm also excited about that smart conditioning uh, monitoring system that we talked about last time. Right with uh, Balif and the IOTA. Well, our last podcast was on condition monitoring, and so uh, that spurred because of our. First of all, there's a lot of hype about machine condition monitoring. That's that's where we're doing specifically, or or at least currently specifically for uh, predictive maintenance type types of uh, uh, systems is to monitor, not necessarily change, but monitor a system uh, to watch for uh, profiles and trends to say that something's about to happen and try to predict that from a maintenance standpoint. And so, yeah, with our IOTA and also in our partnership with Balif, uh, we have been using their condition monitoring systems and have put together a really slick package that gives visualization of the data from charts to gauges to text fields, actually that can be, we, we pre-build one for customers to look at and utilize, uh, even copy. <laughs> um, it's included with our IOTA product. But, uh, yeah, we, uh, we allow them to make modifications to that drag-and-drop type, type thing. But, uh, and certainly our engineers can, can assist with that, and uh, our integration group can provide services to get that set up from a turnkey standpoint. So, uh, again, that's specifically utilizing uh, the Balif line of condition monitoring sensors. And it's a really, really slick thing. It so is. if you hadn't had a chance to listen to our condition monitoring podcast you know take a zip back on your look one episode back from this one and you'll see it that's right that's right and when you've been uh going out and visiting customers and stuff you've been hearing a lot about labor shortages haven't you we are you know we are in we're in the throes of uh coming out of which is a great thing but coming out of the pandemic uh but in doing so at least in the united states but i think globally 
uh, there is a large labor shortage that's being realized. And so I was actually talking to a customer just, just the other day who stated that they have multiple, and we're talking about more than 100 job openings. That's incredible. And zero applications. Now, these are, these are your, you know, your unskilled labor type, line type work jobs, I would assume. Not, not, probably not all of them, but some, some of them. But it's really, uh, really concerning to to not even have applications. That's right yeah. uh, for for employment. And so uh, everyone's trying to it's, it's kind of thrown manufacturing off, thrown the whole industry off. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but also industrial manufacturing as to why we're having this labor shortage, um, and then and then what can we do about it? Yeah, we'll we'll cover that in another episode. That's right. I, I definitely think that's a that's a uh, you know we're trying to stay. Uh, for our audience, try to stay in in line with current events, and, Be relevant. and that's something that's really happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, I do think that that might be maybe even our next podcast topic. So, uh, stay tuned for that one. That's if, right. If, if you have, and then if you honestly reach out to us about that specifically, I'd like to hear some feedback. As you know, if you're in manufacturing, and and you know, what are you dealing with? Um, what are you seeing? Are you in, in what's your region, geographical region? Or, you know, are you in the U.S.? Are you outside of the U.S. Within the U.S. in the Midwest and the West Coast, the East Coast? Uh, just so, I think it's good for everyone to kind of know what everyone else is dealing with. Yeah, so we can gauge where you know is it just in the Southeast or is it right. all over? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and 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 because if there's you know if someone else is getting it right in in the north northwestern United States, let's but, you know, I'd love to share something, some morsels that Success people stories. in the southeast can <laughs> certainly benefit from. Yeah. So, so that that would be a good uh, empowering type of topic. So, I think that's going to be coming soon. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But for today's title, yes, oh yes, today's title is industrial automation. It doesn't have to be like Colonial Pipeline. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Which one is it? I don't know. There you go. Uh, yeah, well, look, we're not throwing uh, not throwing shade at Colonial no. Pipeline, but they have been in the news quite a lot since uh, I think I first heard about it on May 7th. It was a Friday uh, that they, and I'm not sure that's the date of, of the event, but that's when they, uh, at least as far as the media is concerned, that's when they announced or, or, or released a statement that they had been hacked. And that's a that, that's a that's a horrible thing. Now uh, we've learned more about it up till now, and we want to discuss that. But uh, but yeah, that that really brings about a spotlight on cybersecurity, a topic that we have talked about uh, a few other times, and we're not trying to you know keep returning to the same thing. But again, current events are what they are, and we've gotten a lot of conversations. I've had a lot of folks reach out to me about what do you think about this in terms of industrial manufacturing. Uh, customers and and their cybersecurity requirements and how our products can help and those kind of things. Um, I I guess at the end of the day, if in whatever industry you're in, but specifically in industrial manufacturing and and also, uh, you know, any of the the major infrastructure type segments in the United States, be it it pipelines, you know, fueling oil and gas, be it wastewater and, and freshwater, uh, those kind of things. I mean, the electrical utilities that there's always been a, a concern. There's always been 
some some media uh, surrounding how in the United States how how secure are we? Mm-hmm. Because uh, you know, and and honestly, I think that that's also true with cellular. We we actually had a small experience some years ago. It's probably been seven or eight years ago now. It wasn't a terrorist event. It wasn't a hack, but uh, it's actually a poor 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 construction company that accidentally dug through a, a major fiber cable that was underground. Oh my goodness! And it, it supported. I can't remember if it was AT and T or Verizon or whatever, but it basically it was a major trunk line for their cell systems, and uh, and it took multiple states uh, down because everything tried to shift and the, it was awful. It closed airports. Goodness, I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it closed airports. I mean, even over here in, in eastern Tennessee, we couldn't get calls out. You know, it was, it was just it just overwhelmed the entire system, and so. That was not a hack in any way, shape, or form, it's but it's a, an example of if something, and a hack could be part of that, if something is able to take out a major infrastructure, piece of infrastructure, boy, it can really throw everything on on its head. Well, yeah. And so uh, the Colonial Pipeline occurrence uh, certainly shined, shined a spotlight on that as far as preparedness. And and then what do you do on after the fact and, and the steps that they took and so if 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 you're in industrial manufacturing specifically or any kind of infrastructure if you're uh, an IT network engineer or professional or or even the plant president manager or whatever and you're not stepping back and and really taking a look at your cybersecurity and just doing a risk analysis to kind yeah. of review where things are. Uh, trainings for your employees and mm-hmm. things of that nature. You need to. Yes, uh, it's it's a serious thing, and and it's not. It's a risk assessment. It's not all ending. But we have said this. I have said this in the past. We are very comfortable with a lot of security. You know, easing security. And well, it's, uh, it's easy to get lax. It is. You know, and just go, because you're going all your day-to-day stuff, and, you know, I mean, it's easy just to let it go. So it's easy to put it in the cloud. Yep. It's easy to do it via cellular. It's easy to bypass, you know, the the IT office upstairs. I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to do those things. It's easy to put in, you know, everybody's pushing for these, these VPN-type remote, you know, machine builders and manufacturers. Just stick this on the machine, and you can remote in from anywhere. But how much security is applied to that. Yeah. And nothing is totally secure. No. So this is a this is a good a good topic I think for us to discuss. Yeah. So I was I was surprised that the goal for the Colonial Pipeline Cybertech it was to hold their corporate data for ransom. It wasn't to shut down everything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, <laughs> that that's right. The the reason that everything got shut down and again I'm not sitting here saying this is breaking news. I've talked to the president of Colonial Pipeline. This is just what I've read also in the media. And so take it with a grain of salt, but I think this is fairly accurate, that that what they found after the fact, um, you know, they were ransom. They had a ransomware attack. And so what that means is is that somehow this uh, this group this hacking group and i don't know that i don't know if the people that claim it are really the people that claim it i'm not going to do them the service of even mentioning their name uh, but the group that that supposedly hacked them or did hack them we're not sure how they got in what the vector was 
Uh, I don't think anybody's really, there's been speculation, but nobody really knows. But the fact is they got in. Mm -hmm. They had been in for some time, kind of uh, snooping around all the systems. Uh, And apparently uh, their their IT infrastructure between IT and OT was common. It was unified. And so all of the OT type systems were also part of the IT based systems, which includes the accounting department, the ERP systems, and things of that nature. But also, in their case, fuel and gas, I would guess, a lot of SCADA systems, which are typically PC-based. Um, SCADA, Supervisory Control and Data Acquisition. Now, in infrastructure, uh, the control is very much used. And so, if you can gain access to a SCADA system, you can actually change and manipulate the controllers on the machines and and even some of the smart devices and things of that nature. And so, you can do those kind of things. So, it's a, it's a big it, deal. Is it easy to access or does it depend on the security of this? The IT, how they set up their security for their SCADA system. Well, in my experience, IT is not really involved with the SCADA stuff because SCADA is the software that's running on an IT asset, which is typically a Windows PC. So the IT network security comes into who gets to get access to that PC and who doesn't from the outside world. Okay. And so they're they're doing their uh, IT grade of, of you know fire, firewalls and managed switches and things of that nature. I'm sure to uh, and credentials and you know user credentials and things of that nature. It's easy to get lax. You you made that statement earlier and. When we get on the IT on the OT side of things, and typically SCADA systems, you remember SCADA systems is what we were doing that led to the invention of our data commander, MES Gateway Appliance, which is now called our IOTA MES Gateway Appliance, uh, just because it grew up a little bit. But that was because uh, of this. It really revealed to me the conflict between IT and OT, and it's a philosophical conflict between really security because IT folks, their jobs, their whole, a large part of their job is not just handing out IP addresses and making sure they're not duplicated and fixing your email. Their job is to ensure security on all of the PC assets throughout and the network components throughout, throughout the organization that they're in charge of. If um, unfortunately I, I would guess that someone at Colonial Pipeline probably lost their job because of, of this or will because because a cybersecurity attack occurred on their watch. Mm-hmm. That's what they're judged by. They're not judged by from industrial manufacturing back on you know in that topic in that in that, that segment. In industrial manufacturing, IT is not typically judged by how good production is, how many good parts or bad parts, how the machines are running, how much, you know, are they making the trucks, that kind of stuff. They're judged by nothing should have a cyber attack. Mm-hmm. You know, we should viruses, malware, phishing attacks. That that should be we we have to stop that at the front door. It's an extremely important job and role. Now, um, excuse me. On the uh, other side, though, the OT side, the SCADA software is typically an engineering. Um, you know, owned by engineering. Oh, okay, it's an engineering asset. But it has to run On in a, a Windows oh, environment. Yes. So the conflict now comes into play because. From an engineering aspect, when we bid a machine or, or um, you know, it's a little different for infrastructure, but still, once you have a pump station working and things of that nature, you really don't want to change it. And so we would prefer don't change. Once it's working, 
you know, it leave was, it. <laughs> it's not broken. Don't fix it. That's right. <laughs> IT has to have a different philosophy because the cyber requirements, cybersecurity requirements are changing so, so fast. And it's, I mean, even, when you update your virus software, when your PC virus software home at the office, wherever says it's time for an update, that does not mean we figured something out about a virus before it occurred. Oh, they, this that is means someone reacting was infected with a new virus, and we now have a shield against it. So we need to up. You need to update. Otherwise, I mean, it's just like a vaccine. Otherwise, you may catch it, so to speak. And so we we the whole virus and malware thing is a reactive industry. Uh, it's not a proactive industry. Now, when we start looking at vulnerabilities, such as Windows operating system vulnerabilities and stuff, Windows is always sending out patches and updates for that. That's a that that they try to be more uh, that proactive okay. instead of reactive. But sometimes it is a result of a it is more of a reaction than than being proactive because if someone managed to you know, utilize a vulnerability, then it brings it to, to, to light versus sometimes their engineers figure out, hey, this could be used in this way, so we're going to patch it proactively. So it kind of jumps back and forth, but that's more on the IT side of things. On the OT side of things, there's not much because they don't get judged by security. Oh, they get judged by how much they put out. <laughs> how much production <laughs> yeah, and yeah. are the machines running and do we have all of the... You know, all the production data and the traceability data and all that kind of stuff. And so it's, t- it's, it's, it's a marriage between the two, between OT and IT. But it's a philosophically different marriage where OT says, once it's working, don't, don't bother it. And IT says, if I can update it every minute, I'd like to. And so it, each one has very important roles. And then, unfortunately, many of us engineers, and I remember times when I was cool with it, it's easier just to leave the default username and password set, you know, from the factory that we don't have to remember them or maintenance doesn't have to remember them. You don't get calls in the middle of the night. What's this username and password? You know, those kind of things instead of actually instilling a an actual credential-based security. Our IOTA allows for credentials. Our IOTA, if you, there's no back door on purpose from our IOTA. So if you set a new administrative password, username oh, and password, that's it. and you forget it, the only thing we can do is ship it back to us and we'll reflash it. And, of course, the new ones, uh, we can probably reflash them in the field now, but uh, uh, the developers have come up with a lot of new stuff on that. But uh, it's it, you're, you're not going to – it's going to be put back to factory new. And that's not what a lot of customers want to hear, but but security is security, and if there's a back door, it's not secure. Yeah. And so uh, that's that's as serious as we take it. But uh, and then it comes down to isolation and things of that nature. But in their case, the office systems, as we understand, the off they were there for a while. They were snooping around. They saw evidence. Smarter people than I that that you know as they're looking through it, they found evidence that they had been even down on the OT side. But they ransomed, I think, the computers more in the accounting department, uh, which makes sense because that, from any industry organization, you know, if you can if you can lock up accounting, then you're, you're, if your goal is to get a ransom, then then you would think that's where they would shoot, and and so they locked up the accounting and billing systems, I believe. Mm-hmm. The OT side of things, what resulted from all that was, and some of that was social media blitz of. 
you know, everybody better run out and buy gas now. Oh, and it was so it, oh, it kind of amplified the, the issue, kind of like toilet paper back during oh, the pandemic. <laughs> but um, uh, so we in the southeast and across the eastern seaboard expressed a lot, or experienced a lot of fuel shortages. Gas stations were running out of fuel, things of that nature. Now, was that Colonial's fault? Uh, they did shut down the pipeline for a few days. Uh, it's uh, my understanding is it's back up and, and running now. But I don't think that I think had everybody just continued to live normally, which is what they were trying to urge everybody to do. And uh, a buddy of mine sent a picture to me of someone at a gas station putting putting gasoline in like a a tote like you get from Walmart like what? like a camp you know like a tote you know just uh, a storage tote. Oh goodness gracious! Which is <laughs> Do not do that. <laughs> uh, gasoline containers are built to house gasoline for a number of reasons. First of all, gasoline will eat through some plastics. Number two, uh, you are creating, uh, you know, a potential firebomb. And second of all, it's not sealed at all. If you're going to stick that in the back of your vehicle and, and drive with it, you're going to die, potentially. Don't do that stuff. But uh, nevertheless, that's the kind of thing that was going on. And that that I blame social media on and, and you know, the frenzy that comes with that. But but how much of that was Colonial Pipeline's, you know, issue? I, I, I don't think as much uh, of that. But what they did was they shut down their pipeline because they were uncertain. Mm-hmm. And that points toward a lack of preparedness as far as a cybersecurity kind of deal. So the fact that they had to shut it down because they were unsure what systems were going to be affected over and above the accounting systems means they lacked some basic fundamentals on their, what I consider basic fundamentals on their, their cybersecurity architecture. Yeah. And I think that would be what the separation of the networks, that's right. right? Yeah. And so that's what our IOTA does. Now, SCADA systems are a little different because you have to have that control. You have to have that C letter. We have customers that use our IOTA beneath a SCADA system to give separation and feed data to the, to the SCADA system for data acquisition. Okay. But if they're having to do control, that needs to be handled on a different way. Now, we are not a SCADA system, our IOTA. We are a gateway. We can do mashups of data, but it's meant to move data, transfer data front to back. A SCADA system can, you know, has that capability to a point. It just doesn't support all the communications like we do. And so a lot of folks will use an IOTA beneath their SCADA system because we talk to a lot, a lot of things, including legacy items. And a lot of the newer SCADA softwares, uh, they have an OPC client and that's about it. And oh, so, they couldn't talk to all the machines. That's right. And OPC, as you remember, is OLE for process control is what it was traditionally called. Uh, we joke about, oh, please connect. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it's basically, again, if, Beth, you spoke English and I spoke Japanese, and I didn't want to learn English and you didn't want to you know, learn Japanese, but we both agreed that we were going to learn French then if there's not a French word for my Japanese word, you just don't get to have that word. And if there's not the same thing, if there's not an English, a French word for the English word that you're saying, then then we just don't get that. So our, our vocabulary is reduced. Does that so, mean the data is reduced? Well, it may, may say that the, it, it certainly can mean that wherever the data is located within the controller is reduced okay. as far as your access is to those areas. Okay. And so a lot of times data is, is written in different places, different types of, 
of addresses or, or uh, address locations or tag types and things of that nature. And you can't, it's up to the manufacturer to make those available over OPC. And what you end up having to do is, is typically install another uh, software. Oh my goodness. That converts the native from the native language of the controller to this OPC. So basically you're installing this French software that takes your English words and turns them into French and takes my Japanese. Then I have one that takes my Japanese words and turns them into French. And then uh, it kind of goes from there. And so, uh, and vice versa, of course. Uh, So we have multiple layers of software that's running to try and do this translation. And so a lot of manufacturers would, you know, they're not going to translate every word or every location, every address. Our our product uses native drivers. We've said that before, which means we we, we would be even though I speak Japanese when I talk to you, you hear English. Okay. Uh, and every English word is in the vocabulary. Oh, it's like when uh, like at the UN and they have those uh, things oh. in their ears. Well, someone's translating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but ours is a bit more than a translation because we actually natively speak both. Japanese and English. Okay. So if if I was capable of speaking English, it wouldn't matter what other languages that I speak. You and I would talk English, and there wouldn't be a word between us that that doesn't translate. And that's the concept of a native driver. And so a lot of customers, a lot of end users, will use our our IOTA for that reason because beneath a SCADA system where they need need the, you know the SCADA system is the norm. We don't see that as see them as much in industrial manufacturing, from my perspective, but certainly in infrastructure. Okay, SCADA systems have been in infrastructure forever. Okay, uh, so the, then the second th- reason that a lot of folks uh, like to use our IOTA is separation between the networks because of our hardened gateway design. Uh, it gives a more, a, a lot more secure. Uh, separation or isolation between those two networks. Oh, it's like you said last in the last episode, going yeah. into the room and nothing it, there. Nothing there. Yeah. <laughs> Even if you were able to get through the door. <laughs> right. And so, um, but the IOTA is an MES gateway appliance, and appliance is particular because it's it runs on our own kernel. It's not a Windows based deal. It's 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 built to be that and nothing else. So from a cybersecurity standpoint, uh, a Windows PC, what's ma- what makes Windows so great is that it can be something to everyone. What makes it a nightmare from a cybersecurity standpoint is that it can be something for everyone. And everyone includes hackers. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I've said before, you know, from a local attack standpoint, if you hook something, plug something into a USB port on a Windows machine, all you have to do is convince it that it's a mouse or a smartphone or something like that, and it'll gladly give it access to resources. But, and then you can shut that down, but that's not the default settings. You know, you have to be a, a, a network engineer, basically, to know, you have to know Windows, you have to be an IT professional to go in and really say, we're, we're not, we're going to shut down these USB ports, we're going to limit what they do, and what they can access and stuff. That's not how Windows comes out of the box. And so um, Windows comes out of the box wanting to be something everything, for everything yeah. and be totally automatic. That's why you can buy a new wireless mouse and plug it into the USB uh, port, and it says "wireless mouse found." Downloading drivers now enabled. Well, all who how does how does Windows really know that that was really a wireless mouse? That I you always thought in? it was magic. <laughs> so <laughs> magic. <laughs> so yeah, we sell magic here. Um, 
So, so these are things that are very real um, and, and, and very involved. But uh, let, let's move ahead. Okay. So what are some basic things that businesses can do to protect themselves and their customers' data? You know, I was talking to, uh, I was talking to a customer just the other day, and I'm not... <laughs> I see the point of it, but I, at the same time, I, I wonder how the level of effectiveness, but I thought it was very clever. And maybe more IT professionals are doing this now. I haven't experienced that uh, myself. But a larger company, right? Okay. Uh, the the IT folks will create their own faux phishing messages oh, no, uh. and send them out. <laughs> and if you... If you Go for it. If you take the bait, oh, you get, you get, then you're like required. A little nick. <laughs> you're required to do a training, yeah, of course. <laughs> and and it's it's genius, oh, uh, but yeah. at the same time, w- w- the conversation was about it when you started getting, uh, you know, outside of folks that are IT savvy, their training schedule was full uh, because <laughs> and it's online training, so all the employees were suddenly having to spend, you know, the next weeks. In training because no they were all no work's getting done, <laughs> but that also is a testament to to how much of a need that is, yeah. um, and how how much of a so so phishing yes uh, phishing emails that and and you and I were just talking this morning about one you got that, that from you uh, came apparently. from me yeah yeah and uh, of course it wasn't me and and you had the wherewithal to check the return you know the reply to addresses and of course if it's a if it's an attachment. Even if it says PDF in the title of the attachment, but it's an HTML or HTM file or anything odd, don't click it, right? No. America, don't click on those things. And and if it's a link, click here. You know, think twice before you just, if it's in an email and there's a link, we don't even, of course, ISO, our ISO requirements say that, you know, we can't link to another file uh, with internally because it can create the potential of a duplicate file, which... If it's a controlled document, we can't do. So we have our own internal reasons for not sending links to each other. But don't send links to each other. You know, copy the path and paste it in and, and put it on the company server and say, here's where it is in this directory. When you're at work at your desk, you can click through to this. Don't don't throw it on a Dropbox link or a, a OneDrive link or something. I mean, unless you are using that stuff and, and like it, but... You need to know what you're doing. You need to know uh, everybody needs to be educated. But now all of a sudden, if you've got you know, 500 employees, 1,000 employees, 3,000 employees, something like that. That's a lot to manage. Yeah. I tell you, I, IT, IT. They have their hands full. They have their hands full. And, and, and my heart goes out to them because it's, well, it's a hard job. Because honestly, the only time we think of them. Something wrong <laughs> is when something's wrong, and and we're mad. Our email's not working. My phone's not, my voicemail's messed up. I mean, that's the only reason we call them. You know, everybody should reach out if your phone is working, your email is working, you're getting this stream, and you're happy with everything right now because you're not even thinking about your IT person. Thank them. Send them a text that says thanks that I'm not thinking about you because they don't get that. They they their lives is uh, is not a very happy it's a life. Thankless thankless job. Yeah. yeah. Passwords. That's that's another thing. So passwords. I, I promise this has been a conversation back and forth. There's not a good answer. There's not a good balance. Maybe there is, but most IT professionals will make it so that on your computer at the very least you have to change your password every so often, and then they'll. Require and of course a lot of times they adapt they adopt the uh, Microsoft 
password requirements, which means you know symbols and capitals, lowercase, uppercase, and numbers and that kind of stuff. So many characters, those kind of things. And that's that's a good practice. But if it's too hard for folks, what's the first thing they do? It's just going to be something easy for them to remember. Password. <laughs> or they take a post-it note. Oh, yes. And stick it on their computer. <laughs> yeah. Or they stick it in their desk drawer or something. I mean, it's like locking your house down with the best locks in the world and then sticking the key under the mat at the front door. You know, the the first place to look is under the mat, right? And yeah. Then number two, under the flower pot. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, if you're going to leave those things out, you know, it, it just happens. Uh, and so, you know, th- they face a hard, a hard, hard task on that stuff. So passwords need to be secure. They do need to be changed. You know, the question of how often. Yeah. How often do you think? You know, I, I change mine all the time because I forget them. Okay. Uh, yeah, I know. I, 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 I'm, I hear you. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 then I'm, uh, and then I'm forced to, you know, use that password before, use something else. And so I come up with something else and, and get in and do my thing. And then a week later, I can't remember. And so I've got more forgotten password links than probably anything, you know, on a lot of stuff. But, uh, uh, yeah, my passwords change quite often, more so than probably necessary. But that's because my memory is horrible. <laughs> I don't know what's I don't know what's reasonable. I I would love to hear an IT person comment on that. Yeah. I, I know I know we're lazy, generally lazy, at least especially in this United States where we tend to be lax and lazy when it comes to stuff like that. It's, you know, that's the reason why the most popular password is password 1234, you know, that kind of stuff with a capital B. If that's your password, change it. Please. Yeah. Yeah, so so I don't know. I don't, I don't if you have them change it all the time, then, you know, there you go. But even the forgot my password stuff, uh, you still have to have credentials on that to, to get it, which is absolutely necessary. You know, Apple started all the face recognition and with their phones and their iOSs. Uh, you know, Android with the phones, they do the fingerprint stuff. And then there's computers, you know, even uh, a lot of the computer manufacturers have done fingerprint Oh, logins really? and things oh, okay. like that. And the problem is, is that after a while, that what if your fingerprint reader stops? So you got to have a back door. Oh yeah. Oh. And if you have the back yeah, door, yeah, there's your uh, open vector there. <laughs> that's right. I, I was on a panel some years ago at Anaheim at the medical devices manufacturer show, and one of the gentlemen there, I, I've forgotten his name. He was an extremely, extremely uh, intelligent individual. But he made the statement that, you know, a lot of times with companies, if there's, if there's six doors in the room and five of them are locked super securely, but number six isn't, uh-huh. you might as well unlock the other five because you have to get them all. And, and then my point to that was, but what about the number seven door that you didn't mention that we're not aware of yet? Oh. So there's always, it's, from an IT standpoint, they're always having to... Look, 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 look. And so it's a tough job. Yeah. Yeah. What else should businesses be doing? Well, you know, I mentioned, I mentioned USB sticks and sticking stuff in, you know, the mouse and the USB. Yeah. Those types of attacks um, are typically, uh, I mean, they, Those are yeah, insider they don't jobs, have to be inside. Usually. Yeah. Okay. And, but 
that that became a real issue for folks when po- folks were partially working remotely. Yeah. Uh, because they would go home, do some work there, USB stick, thumb drive, save their work, come back to the office, plug it in to their computer. And unbeknownst to them, their home one was the infected. home security was not where it needed to be versus the, the plant security. And so something came in that way. So uh, software updates, software updates were a large reason why the, the data commander came to be. Yeah. <laughs> because when we were installing SCADA, assistance what would happen inevitably is it has to do their job to update the pc and so windows updates uh, virus engine updates uh, firewall updates were a big one malware updates they go out and say if i don't i don't know what this software is so i'm gonna not allow it to run i'm gonna put it in, in you know in the sandbox so to speak or something like that so uh, a system would go from running perfectly to suddenly not running because a communications layer was cut off based upon a firewall software update or a Windows update or something like that. And so support just continued and continued and continued. And I became very frustrated personally. And the costs were just through the roof because uh, usually when you do a system, uh, most most uh, manufacturers having their, their work contracts that you're going to support this system for free for 12 months, 12 month minimum. So if there's any issues, you have to respond within so many hours and you know, you, you have to support it at no, no charge. Now, if you get there and find out they did something wrong, you know, we're not talking about that, but in this case, it just quit. So when we got there, we would 99% of the time, it was an update that was done by a pushdown update from, from IT. Uh, that resulted in something that they're not responsible for, SCADA. They don't need to make sure SCADA is working. And so the question is, is who is responsible for that from a cost standpoint? Does that fall under standard support? Or does it is it a billable visit to the to the end user? And nobody wants to... Nobody wants to pick up that bill. <laughs> right, right. And so it's just all kinds of frustration from every level and all of it, each of it somewhat justified. And so uh, that's where I realized the problem here is the Windows PC, the environment by which it's running. And so by creating an appliance, the analogy you've heard me say is like a toaster at home. If you buy a toaster, it, it toasts. Uh, you don't have to worry about coming home one day and it's sending email or, uh, you know, it's it's run, washing dishes or it's decided it's it's a refrigerator. Yeah. It's, it's only going to ever do toast, and but but it's going to toast hopefully very very well, uh, because that's what it's designed to do. It's not going to cool anything. It's not designed for that. It's not going to, you know, if you're changing the tire on your car, it's not going to act to hold the car up instead of a jack. You know, it, it's not designed for that. It's only designed to toast, and that's what an appliance is. I mean, even in the uh, computer world, uh, we refer to PCs and then we refer to as appliances, which is an embedded, dedicated device. And that's what the that's what the iOD is. Now, it's got a lot of capabilities that are the same that you get uh, from a SCADA system running on a PC uh, or any type of data acquisition, but it it's built into it. It's optimized for that. So. But yeah, I'm, I've, I'm sorry. I jumped down a rabbit hole. That's okay. Um, but that's where the software updates, it was that type of philosophical uh, disagreement that caused us to create the data, caused me to, to, to look out, to find other options, couldn't find any other options, so we invented the, the data commander, and now it's called the IOTA. was because of that conflict. Mm-hmm. Outside of that... You know, there's, what do you got here? You've got written down the Cyber Readiness Programs. So Cyber Readiness Institute, yeah, they're, they're a nonprofit, right? Yes, and they've got free programs for uh, small and medium businesses <clears throat> where they can, they have kits and that they can do their own 
uh, little risk assessments and stuff like that. I haven't gone through the program or anything yeah. like that, but I thought it was interesting that it's free. Well, that is interesting. And I'm familiar with Cyber Readiness Institute, and, and I can say the reason why that I, I'm familiar with them is because of a recent New York Times article that I read and I brought to your attention uh, where they had uh, had quoted, had, had referenced the Cyber Readiness Institute, but had quoted individual Kurtzton Dot. Tot, I guess is how you say it, T-O-D-T. So, Kirsten, I'm sorry I got that wrong. But Managing Director of the Nonprofit Cybersecurity Readiness Institute. And she had some very interesting quotes that I pointed out to you in the New York Times article. She did, yeah. Basically, it was a from that same article uh, in the New York Times, and I'm possibly paraphrasing here, but the point was that that colonial that that there's experts that say that colonial uh, wouldn't have to had to shut down its pipeline if it had more confidence in the separation between its uh, business network and its pipeline operations. Well, that is IT and OT, and, OT. Mm-hmm. and it's that lack of confidence. So, getting back to what happened quickly, we were talking about that the fuel shortages and all that results. But what they did was they realized that the Hackers had been around all the systems. They ransomed the accounting and billing systems. That's it. They didn't shut down anything else. No, their goal wasn't to cause the chaos. The chaos was well. Just that's what an they said. Fact. That's what they said. But the interesting, they said they were shutting their servers down and all this kind of stuff. But ThreatPost, who I, I follow on Twitter, a couple of days later said, "Not so fast. Their oh, servers yeah? aren't so shut down because Toshiba got hacked by the same group. The same people apparently hacked." Toshiba ransomed just a few days later. So saying they didn't intend for all the chaos, it was just in it for the money. That's not permissible. That's not, that doesn't make it okay. Uh, oh, I'm not saying it was yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. um, but in, in, in colonial standpoint, they really didn't know how to, they didn't know what was coming next. They're trying to figure out where all were they, have they been, what all did they do, and what's next. And so they, out of caution, and you know the the knowledge that there was no separation between these two networks, and that they had gotten onto both networks, they chose to take as a safety measure, preventative measure, to shut everything down. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't that the the ransomware shut down the pipeline; it only shut down the accounting systems and billing systems. Uh, but there was concern about, you know, is it just isolated to this system? And mm-hmm. so until they got a handle on that, and that's that, that's certainly an admirable way of handling that. I mean, it's a, it's a responsible way of handling it. The ir- the point of irresponsibility, and of course they say hindsight's twenty twenty. But had they had separation in place, and that's what the New York Times article is kind of saying is, or at least these experts that they they're referencing, is that they have had they had that separation. They could have handled and managed the the problem in accounting without shutting down operations otherwise. They could have kept going. And so uh, that was the oversight, I think, that they're coming coming from. But Kirsten said, can I read her quote? Sure, have at it. And and this is is her quote from the New York Times article. There should be absolute... I'm sorry, let me get it right. There should absolutely be separation between data management and the actual operational operational technology. Not doing the basics is frankly inexcusable for a company that carries 45% of the gas, gasoline, I'll I'll, I'll say that's what she means, gasoline, but gas to the East Coast. And so 
Colonial Pipeline is a huge, huge, huge operator. They they move all of the fuel, you know, gasoline and diesel throughout pretty much most of the eastern supply. All the it's from Texas to New Jersey, going fourteen states. Yeah, and I didn't know they went to Texas. Wow, I thought they were in Georgia, starting Georgia. Eh, that's interesting. So even further than the eastern seaboard. Yeah, they're big. They're a big deal. And so she was, she was thinking that they should have thought this through a little bit better. I think they originally thought that they had the separation. Oh, did they? Yeah. Well, everybody probably thinks they probably they think do. They, they were probably sold a bill of goods. <laughs> well, yeah. There's the marketing part. Yeah, the sales part. Um, you know, it's tough. It's tough. I, I, honestly, and I've said this before, nothing is impervious. Even though you may think it is, nothing is. Yeah. And, you know, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, the whole deal, it's it's impervious. It, it's unhackable. You can't hack it. I don't know about stuff. that now. And then about a month ago, one of the cryptocurrency vaults was hacked. And they took all kinds of Bitcoin. I mean, not just Bitcoin, but all the different cryptocurrencies because this this vault is the go-between that's necessary to basically be the exchange between different currencies. Wow. And so it got hacked. Well, so I go back again to manufacturing. I've heard people say, yeah, we're doing condition monitoring and it's a web-based system. It's cellular-based and it goes to their cloud. Is there concerns about security? No, there's nothing else connected to that. How do they know? Well, how do they know? They didn't may have designed it to say nothing else is connected to it, but ultimately they're coming down to a condition monitoring system that's running on an Ethernet IP network with an, with a PLC. And all it takes is another cable connection into a switch, and suddenly it's part of another network. Wow. It's that easy? It's that easy. I mean, you know, you just plug something in and plug something in. Inadvertently. I mean, nobody means to click on the phishing email. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So... That's the stuff IT professionals are dealing with every day. And so, yeah, I, I think there's perception. We're safe. Yeah. But like like the gentleman said in that in that panel, you can have all five doors locked up tight, secure. But if the number six door doesn't have a lock on it, you might as well forget it. It's, it's Lock the front door. Do the safety, you know, the ironclad safety, you know, storm door. Put a rock in front of it. But if you leave the window open, the side window open... Then it doesn't matter. What difference is all that <laughs> yeah. make? So uh, it, it's 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 an interesting thing. So I was reading that same article was saying that the analysts say installing unidirectional gateways along the their pipeline would be complicated and expensive. What are those gateways that they're talking about? I don't I don't know exactly what they're talking about. I assume uh, a, uni, a unidirectional gateway means that you can move. Uh, it's just one way. Yeah, I guess it is one way, you know, being one bi-directional be both. So I, I would assume that, that that's what we're talking about uh, is, uh, you know, with, with the IOTA, it, if you're using it, a lot of customers, as a lot of customers do, so that it's unidirectional, especially uh, moving data in one direction. But you have to be able to go bi-directionally in any type of a standard IoT system, especially a SCADA-based system, because if you're doing control. Okay. So... I'm not real sure. I should have asked you about this before the podcast. Well, I, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, installing unidirectional gateways along 5,500 miles of pipeline is complicated and expensive. I could imagine. Oh, it's definitely got some expense. If it's an iota, it's not complicated. That's but true. Uh, 
because again, it's hardware. Now, if you have to go in and do those gateways and they're in their software based security or managed switches, and if they're talking about switches, gateway switches and things of that nature, yeah, you're going to have to go in and, and basically program them and all this kind of stuff. Oh, okay. Because it's, it's software controlled, you know, with what's allowed to go here and then port forwarding and all that kind of stuff. That's what we call a, a NAT addressable type firewall and things of that nature, managed switches. What's allowed through, what's not, what can see, VLANs and things of that nature. Ours is not that. Ours is, is it's separated. It, it's, it's hardware separated. and Hardware separated with bi-directional communication. Yeah, so so we can, from our IOTA, if we're, we're communicating natively, we can talk out either port and read and write from either port. But as far as the, the NIC chips, they're, 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 they're not able to talk to the other one. So um, they're totally isolated. Uh-huh. And it's we say hardware, meaning that it's physically physically isolated. It's not yes. a software isolation. There's two ports on it. Two ports. Phys- but even, even with two ports, it's not a software that's controlling the traffic between the two. It's hardware that's controlling. Okay. It. And okay. that hardware is physically not connected to each other. And so it, it is hardware-based and not software-based. Software basically says, you know... Shut your eyes, Beth. There's two doors in this room. Just believe me. Okay. You know, and and so tell me what you want to go out the other door, and and I'll take care of it. You know, so uh, you don't get to see the doors. Uh, you just tell me, and you know, I'll tell you, and and but then I'm gonna manage where that information goes to. So you know, that's the way devices are handled. You come in on port one, you may have be given access to port three, four, and five, but not you don't even know that six, seven, and eight exist. Okay, that's controlled and set up with uh, with software on the chip level, doing things uh, which we network address translation and port forwarding and all the things that IT folks set up on managed switches and and when they're setting up VLANs, virtual LANs, virtual local area networks, that kind of stuff. And so that is all, to be able to do that requires programming. If it requires programming, it's software. You can't change ours. It's not a programming thing. It's just physically that way, and that's it. And so it's considered hardened versus, uh, you know, a hardened gateway versus a firewall. Okay, okay, okay. And so it's a difference. I mean, firewall means software. Software-based. Okay, okay. I understand It kind of boils that. it down. So Yeah. So it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be expensive on the IOTA either because I, don't, I think our IOTA is fantastically priced. There is a cost, though. And on 5,500 miles, uh, we'll cut you a discount. <laughs> uh, but uh, I don't know how much that is, but I'm sure it's, you know, it's something that has to be budgeted and considered. But uh, uh, but nevertheless, the goal of our this podcast is not – to sell iotas, though iota is a sponsor of today's podcast. That's right, <laughs> and it's not to throw shade at Colonial Pipeline. Certainly not. It's just to shine the light on there are we every business we can't be lax in this at all. Well, it, look, if it can happen to Colonial Pipeline, oh my goodness, yeah, then it can happen to anyone, mm-hmm. and especially if you're a small to, to medium enterprise business, you know, let us help you with that. Now we're not we don't tout ourselves as cybersecurity experts. There, there. Plenty of companies out there that are, but if you're unsure, certainly we can have a dis- discussion about it and give you our points of view. Uh, but certainly also we can provide isolation between IT and OT and then also do that in a non-complicated fashion, especially if there's PLCs involved, robots, CNC controllers, and things of that nature, and going up to upstairs database systems and ERP systems. And so that stuff should be easy. 
Mm-hmm. And and with our product, it is, and I think it's the easiest out there. So uh, certainly give us a call about that. That's right. And if you want to learn more about the IOTA, that website is iiota.net. IOTA.net, that's right. And, and that means industrial, oh, wait. Industrial uh, Internet of Things Appliance. Yes, I've written it down, typed it so many times, <laughs> my mind just went blank. <laughs> it's an acronym. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, uh, it's, and certainly uh, Colonial Pipeline, uh, you know, uh, my heart goes out to them and yeah. having to deal with this. Um, nobody wants to be the, the victim of uh, any type of a cybersecurity deal. And so, uh, but they're handling it. And, and a lot of people kind of got upset by them. They're throwing shade at them because they shut down the, the operational side, but they weren't sure. And, and it could have been a lot, lot worse if... If they hadn't and something had happened there, uh, it could have been a lot more expensive as well. Yeah. And, and and I don't care who you are. When these kind of things happen, not only is there going to be a cost increase, as we've been seeing down mm-hmm. here on the eastern sea, seaboard and, and eastern coast, is uh, eastern part of the United States, it, gas prices have gone up. Now, some of that's artificial because of the run on gas. But it would have – anytime something like this, you're going to see an increase in, in fuel costs, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that affects everything. We're already experiencing fuel shortages and supply chain issues with food, with with electronics, with everything. And you add fuel to that, it's just it's just a perfect storm. But had they not shut down, taken those steps, and those systems had been ransomed, could you imagine that could have taken them down for months? I mean, honestly, months. In fact, uh, while it's not. My understanding is you're never supposed to pay the ransom. They did pay the ransom, but the cipher they got didn't work, or it was only working halfway. So it certainly is not worth the money. But, uh, you know, they're just trying to do whatever they can do to keep America moving on the eastern eastern side of the United States. And so I applaud them for that and their efforts. But uh, uh, but hopefully uh, they can get it pulled together quickly and get us back on, on the road. That's all right. So... Colonial Pipeline, good luck, guys. Yeah. We're with you, praying for you, uh, and let us know if we can help in any way. Absolutely. Uh, we're all in the trenches together. So, Beth? Yes, Brandon. I think we should do a podcast on the labor shortage. Yes, I agree. I think that'll be a, a, t- a timely topic. So, guys, I want to thank you for, for keeping up with us, for keep, uh, keeping the, the downloads and the streams coming. Uh, and going and and the comments and the the, the kind messages that we've received and uh, we're we're tickled to do this we're uh, we keep upgrading our podcasting room it keeps looking nicer and nicer we're uh, we're we almost look like 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 a recording studio hey, right almost now. yeah <laughs> uh, so hopefully uh, the quality of of everything at least how it sounds uh, is good uh, hopefully you're enjoying it so I want to thank everybody for 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 taking part of our podcasting and and going forward and thank you beth for all the promotion absolutely and the stuff that you've done so well so i guess we'll wrap it up for today all right if you want to reach out to us give us a call at 865-409-1555 the website is ellitek.com and, and the iota website iota Dot net. Dot net. That's yeah. right. That's right. And then we also have still, uh, for those of you who know us for our data commander, there's all, also the datacommander.com, T-H-E, datacommander.com. Oh, that's got a lot of resources on it, too. And that's where still a lot of resources that, are. So That apply to the IOTA Yeah, well. that's right. So the IOTA is 
a next step or revision of the data commander. So anything you see there in terms of resources, our how-to videos and things of that nature certainly apply to the IOTA. So a lot of information there. And mm-hmm. certainly uh, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Yes, and we will put all those handles in the show notes. Perfect. Hey, guys, thank you very much. Beth, say goodbye. All right. Thank you for your time, Brandon. Thank you all for listening. See you guys.